You're listening to The 30 Podcast. Here's your host, Jazz Kang. Welcome to another episode of The 30 Podcast. I'm your host, Jazz Kang. Uh, don't forget to subscribe on silverscreenandroll.com. You can all check it out through iTunes. And be sure to follow us on Twitter, at LakersSBN. If you want to follow me, you can do that at JazzKang21. That's J-A-S-K-A-N-G-21. Recording this just before the Lakers play the Pacers at Staples Center tonight. And excited to have on with me a writer for both ESPN.com and ESPN the Magazine, Kevin Arnovitz. How you doing tonight, man? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing okay. Uh, big night today for the Lakers. No Victor Oladipo for the Pacers, so I'm looking forward to see how they respond. Um, now, if you're looking at the team overall, sitting at 11 and nine uh, through the basically the quarter mark of the season, LeBron been pretty good so far. He's leading the team pretty much across the boards in the major uh, uh, traditional stats in terms of points, rebounds, assists, and steals. But the Lake Show, it's been pretty up and down so far. What are your thoughts on how the LeBron era has started off here in Los Angeles? I mean, I, I think so. There's the macro picture, right? And, and that would be that this is a four-year project, and I, I think the nature of the roster suggests everything you need to know about the expectations this year, which were which were measured, right? I mean, they're keeping their collection of young guys together for the time being, and they signed a bunch of guys to one-year deals who are veterans. Uh, you know, uh, all of them, you know, most of them actually playmakers themselves to alleviate that burden on LeBron. Though, as I think Brian Windhorst wrote on. Uh, Wednesday, uh, you know, it's it's easy to forget that actually traditionally LeBron teams do best when he does have the ball in his hands and he is effectively running point. But so I, I think that's the first question is is to answer the question, how are they doing? Uh, we need to know sort of what, what do we expect them to do? And, uh, you know, in that respect, I think they're kind of they are who we thought they were in that respect. Uh, you know, they're above 500 team that's up and down. Um, you know, they sit at going into tonight's game and I assume most of your listeners will be listening to this after the game. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're in the sort of bottom half of the playoff run, which is, I think where most of us had them. So, um, it's also, I think worth mentioning that LeBron teams, particularly new LeBron teams, they often take time to gel. That was, that was an Eric Spolstraism back in 2010, 11, and everyone kind of hemmed and hawed and chalk that up as an excuse or trying to explain away the struggles or the fact that the team just wasn't composed as, as, as all the pieces fitting. And, and it turned out to be true. Um, LeBron's difficult to play with and not because he's difficult to play with. Uh, but I, I think he's such a unique player. Um, the court division demands a certain level of readiness and it's not unusual to see a, you know, a, a, a teammate just be shocked to, to, to find the ball. He is an interesting combination of, on one hand, he likes order and likes the half, you know, a half court game. And not to say he doesn't love getting out in the break, but his inclinations are, his teams have traditionally been slower paced. Um, Yet he's also very improvisational. So it's not like you're running sets. And I I think for a lot of players, to say nothing of, of the fact that there's always a bit of chaos around the team when he's there. I think that requires acclimation, and it requires acclimation for a coaching staff. Uh, it requires acclimation for, for younger players, certainly, and you've got a lot of younger players, and I think Ingram's a guy that you know, people have been talking about in terms of concern and, you know, uh, is, is there a certain redundancy, uh, you know, what, what, what not. Um, but I, I, I do think, you know, I, I think patience is really important. I know fans and, and certainly management never want to hear that, but it's such a slog, this schedule. I mean, what? We're not even a quarter of the way in. Uh, tonight, I think we'll match 
the, the, Clip, uh, the Clippers, the Lakers will cross the one one quarter line of the season. I mean, you're talking about the, we're, we're at the end of the first quarter of a game, if you want to use that as a, as a larger metaphor. So, you know, I think relative to expectations, you know, this is who they are, a collection of LeBron James and a lot of flawed players, some of them because of their youth, some of them because of maybe defensive limitations, some of them because of their age, both high and low on, on that scale. Um, there's not a lot of, I think, raw shooting in a, in a shooting league right now. Um, very, you know, few of those teammates are, are overperforming in that in that range. You know, and Lance has shot the ball well. Josh Hart's, I think, surprised us um, from distance. But you know, and Rondo's out, so uh, he, he was the other. But um, I mean, that, that's who they are. Yeah, it's, it, you mentioned that kind of off the top there about uh, the way the roster was constructed, and, and I'm, I'm I'm with you on that. I think you know if they can get in as a six, seven, eight seed. Um, maybe win around in the playoffs if everything goes well and LeBron goes into superhuman mode. That would probably be the best case scenario. Uh, but you mentioned some of the young guys and especially how LeBron likes to have the ball in his hands. Uh, you know, when I'm watching the Lakers, I see that uh, to me, Lonzo Ball um, is better when he's the one kind of creating, getting the outlet, pushing the ball up the floor and trying to find the open man. And Ingram has been a, a bit of a clunky fit next to uh next to lebron in, t- in terms of especially in the half courts at the lakers um when, when they're running a lot of the one four high and then they're and they're getting a lot of on uh, on ball screens especially in the offensive half court set but they're playing a little bit better when they're pushing the ball D- do you think this has hurt any of the development so far i mean i, I know off the court and, and kind of just being around uh, a great player like lebron you know day in and day out and learning off him should be able to have um, a better impact going forward on the guys but right now do you think that that's affecting some of those young guys that mentioned that a kuzma ball and Ingram, do you think that's affecting their performance so far? Yeah, I don't want to characterize it as hurting development because I think this is part of development. You're going to have to play in the NBA on elite teams with players who present some redundancy to your skills or, or you know, essentially get the touches you would accustomly like to do. Um, you know, Ingram's very much kind of, you know, a, a, you know, a line drive, put the ball on the floor kind of player and, and, you know, there, there's not a ton of spacing on the on the floor right now. Um, it, it's funny. LeBron actually is a pretty adept three point shooter, and, and he provides spacing in terms of, you know, maybe we would call horizontal spacing. Uh, I mean, it's not like hey, let's spread the floor. You know, but but I think Ingram, you know, will we'll need to find his spots. Um, you know, he's not a, you know, you would never say he's a secondary playmaker um, either. So so I, I think this in. It, it encourages development. Is it? Does it mean that his stat line is going to be as good as last year? Probably not. He'll probably need to learn some new tricks. Uh, you know, he's never had to be a cutter, per se. Uh, you know, and they might want to find another role for him. Maybe he is essentially sort of, you know, you know, is he a, is he a potential microwave off off the bench? And I don't mean that he shouldn't start. I mean, you know, you know, figure out the rotation. They've done a little bit of this with with Ingram. Um, but I, I don't think it, it hampers development. I think it encourages development. And, and this is problem solving 101. You know, you've basically been the guy with the ball in your hands on the wing, at least most of your, you know, a, adult and adolescent life as a player, you're Brandon Ingram. And, you know, here comes the 800 pound gorilla. So, so what do you do? <laughs> and, and, I, and I think that's that, you know, that that's the challenge. And these are good challenges to have. Um, I'm not concerned. I, I've always been a little bit. I'm an. You know, it's funny. I'm an Ingram apologist and a Ball apologist. Um, okay. I probably don't like Kuzma as much as other, um, maybe Laker fans, just uh, in terms of in terms of skill set. But um, 
which is ironic because I tend to like power forwards who can shoot. But I, I think the fact that I don't know that Kuzma is the shooter we think he is, or certainly not the shooter he thinks he is. Um, but we'll see. Um, but I, I've always been an Ingram apologist a little bit. Yeah, and you know what? I, I find that with you. I'm not as much as an Ingram apologist. Like for Lonzo Ball, um, I don't think the Lakers drafted him to be a 25 and, and 13 guy day in and day out. I think the way he can control the game um, by pushing the pace and kind of finding the open guys. And his three-point shot looks a whole lot better this year to me than it did last year just in terms of his confidence. Um, you know, so I do agree with you. But uh, to, to me, it's funny that you say that. To me, I think Kuzma out of the three has been the better fit um, next to LeBron because he he is kind of getting some backdoor cuts and he is able to spot up in the corner and and hit some threes. Now I mean he's been invisible um, in in a lot of their losses uh, as well. And that's another thing I wanted to ask you about. Like especially on the defensive end, um, if you look at the stats when the Lakers are losing, uh, it's it's really the dynamic big men that have been killing them. Uh, Lamarcus Aldridge, uh, Busevic twice from the Magic, uh, Nurkic. Hell, they even made Serge Ibaka look like he was back in in 2008 again. You know what I mean? So um, is that something that you want to see Luke Walton? make some more adjustments like the opposing team's number one big man I put up 26 and 11 and I'm not going to hold that all to JaVale McGee because some of them were coming off switches um, sometimes Kuzma's I, I think out of position guarding guys especially who are able to post you up as well as face you up um, how do you think Luke Walton's done so far in terms of making adjustments and trying to trying to put the roster in the best position to succeed you know they're, they're, they've been a really tough team to evaluate for me because obviously they were atrocious the first um a few weeks of the season defensively uh you looked up the other day you know over the weekend they were 10th in the league you know which means they were there i think they, they had the best defense in the league last week in the sort of on the eight or nine day stretch uh which is impressive you know and yeah they got beat up by some bigs but um yeah sometimes that means if you're if you're winning games and bigs are killing you that means you're doing a great job on the perimeter um those guys are a handful uh they don't i, I chandler's obviously helped i mean they've been fantastic defensively when he's on the floor uh, you obviously don't want him on the floor too much. A, A, B, he just doesn't provide any sort of spacing. Um, and as you mentioned, Kuzma, yeah, Kuzma's a more intuitive player than I probably give him credit for. Um, you know, I, I just don't like to, you know, 25% three-point shooters <laughs> five shots again from, from distance. I just, I just don't like it all that much. Um, but, you know, I think they've been fine. And uh, I, I, I think Lonzo's extremely gifted defensively. Uh, and, and, you know, a lot of the strength has come when they have been good is at the top of the floor. Uh, you know, I, I, I think they're going to have to toy with some schemes. I mean, obviously, you know, everybody loves to switch until, you know, again, you have one of those big hulks, you know, down low, you know, dealing with, you know, dealing with your off guard. And, and, and you yeah, know, they've got some tough guys and, 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 and Lonzo's not, you know, Lonzo on an island isn't, isn't the worst thing in the world. But, look, I think every – team in the league has the issue the Lakers have I don't, I don't think this is unique to the Lakers you know it's a very switchy league you now need to account for guys you know out on the perimeter because these, these pick and pop guys you know guys like you know the ones you're talking about are capable of hitting shots even LaMarcus isn't like you know a three-point shooter but you still gotta you know you gotta account at 18 you better show hard you better switch you better do something you, you need a body on them and you know I think all all teams in the league and I think it's one of the reasons you're seeing Teams, I, I wouldn't say. I, I think switch the switch hit its peak in 2018, and I think we're starting to see those sort of corrals. Um, you know, I was just watching the uh, you know the Toronto game, and, and you know the Raptors are being very explicit about you know when they got the matchup defensively they want with Kawhi, like they're not going to switch, they're not going to let what happened in Boston 
you know, when they were playing, you know, Kyrie and they were, you know, the Celtics were able to get Kawhi off him in consecutive possession. They're not letting that happen. I think you're going to see more of that. Um, I think teams still obviously have to account for bigs who can shoot. I mean, one of the reasons switches happened is, you know, sort of, you know, the Dirk Nowitzki rule, which is, you know, it's one of those things like if you're fighting over and that guy just kind of slips along the perimeter and then gets the pass, you know, you got a big who's a, you know, 44% on uncontested and there's no one around or a, or a small trying to catch up with them. You know, it, that's, that's a bucket. So, I mean, that was, or, you know, not even a small, a big trying to catch up with them. That's a bucket. And so, you know, that therein like, you know, switching became fashionable for a couple of reasons. One is you had like size players like the Warriors and two that you, you really had to account for bigs on the perimeter on, on, a, on, a, on a kind of a pick and slip or a, or a pick and pop really. And, and that, that, that's sort of the advent of it. But I think teams are figuring out that, like, you know, all of a sudden mismatched basketballs come back in fashion and you end up with situations like the Lakers have. So, you know, I, I think, you know, Luke's working with it. And, again, they're, they're, they're league average tonight defensively. And I think that's, you know, I think that's kind of in terms of personnel where they are. Um, you know, maybe, maybe they, they can probably aspire to be a little bit better. But, uh, you know, you've got Kuzma on the floor a lot. I, I don't think he's a very skilled defender. He's intuitive offensively. I think he's discombobulated defensively at times. I don't think it's a lack of effort. I, I just don't think it's his natural awareness. Um, and uh, But they're league average tonight, and, you know, they have a nice little run. They'll, they'll be back at 10, you know. So I'm watching that number because I do think it's very telling. But they've been tough because it's not – it's been spotty, right? Like you say, like – like when they're good, they've been very good. They're, 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 it's not like it's in fits and starts. They haven't put together a big defensive stretch. Um, they haven't been lately a, a terrible defensive stretch where they've been awful three games in a row. Um, Vucevic is killing everybody. So, you know, who knows? Yeah, I, and I, I noticed that as well, with, especially with the, with the defensive end. I mean, that, that game they played against Denver – um, a couple of nights ago, it was I, you know, seeing what Millsap and uh, and Jokic were doing to him. It was it was almost like, all right, this is like these guys. They look like men amongst boys playing against Kuzma at points, McGee, uh, and even Chandler down low. I mean, it, it, Jokic didn't really come on until the second half where he started hitting some threes and, and pulling the big man out. But um, you know, I, I think with the personnel they have, I, I agree with you. I think you know, being in around the 10, 12 mark is probably the best you're you're going to see going forward, just because they don't have the guys to really play that that full matchup thing. Now, one thing. I I did want to ask you about you mentioned how you know the NBA the the switch kind of hit its peak uh last year I think Houston did, did an amazing job of kind of, uh, of of showcasing it and showing how it can work but do you think the the NBA coaches are going to be a little bit uh or kind of get catching on to it defensive uh scheme wise I mean you heard Popovich say he doesn't like the fact that that three balls um are, are so prominent now it's kind of taken away from the beauty of the game is, is this type of NBA do you think uh, going to be, you know, the the mainstream going forward, or or eventually, or, or you know, at, at some point, um, if we get a guy like Shaquille O'Neal come along, who who is just a monster on the on the on the block, I mean, I think it'll just change to re- that being back to about the big man again. I mean, I suppose, but then you're going to get those like the big man who can do both. Um, this is evolution, and, and here's the problem, and it, it, this is it's a it's a longer conversation, and that is, until you fix the math, this is it. Like the bottom line is, is that it is very difficult unless you're Shaquille and you're, you know, like DeAndre Jordan, like shoots what 68% from two. He's got no range, but like, but at the same time, you know, it, 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 a lot of that is manifested from offensive rebounds and sort of getting loose and lobs and whatever. But like, like 
it's just the math. Like if you created a situation where, okay, we're going to change scoring in basketball, which is highly unlikely, right? Like now it's going to be four to three, you know, essentially one of the problems you have is it's just the payoff is too good. You know, you get a point and a half for, for a shot as opposed to a point, you know, you're getting 50% premium on a shop. It's not 50% more difficult, right? It's marginally more difficult. Hell, you've got guys in the league who shoot better from three than from two. And so like, I am someone who generally believes in this dialectic and that, yeah, okay, there'll be a pendulum swing back. Um, and, yeah, you've got guys who are handfuls, you know, down low. Um, but, I, you know, I, I think ironically what you're seeing is, like, you know, you're watching you, – you get, like, guys like Jonas Valanciunas who now they come in often with the second unit and there's nobody of any size or skill to kind of defend them and you dump it in there. But, like, you know, I, I just – the math doesn't favor that. It, it, it's, it's just as long as there are guys who can shoot 38, 40, 41% from three, okay, you better be a 63% shooter. And maybe, you know, again, there, there could be a shack. But, you know, there are ways to deny him the ball. It sort of bogs down your offense. Can he pass out of a double team? You know, because that's part of the challenge too. And, and if he can, great. But, you know, I, I just, but, you know, here's a perfect example. Like LaMarcus does a lot of this stuff. And they're a terrible offense in San Antonio right now. I mean, I just like show me a post up offense that is efficient. You know, it just doesn't exist anymore. And um, it, it's one of the reasons post ups are, are sad. And uh, yeah, you, you will have a generational monster down there at some point. Some guy who's just like, you know, you got to hang all over him, or you, you know, you, you rack up five team fouls and it just screws your entire game because. You know, now the team's just living at the line, and they'll have some Corey Maggette type who can just like, you know, just get the ball, <laughs> dribble, and get fouled. And so you start going to him with six minutes left in the quarter, and you know, like you can do that. But I just don't. I mean, why make life hard? You know, just go with, just go, go with, with the percentages, the basically. Can, you know. Yeah, I mean, just it, like this would be an interesting experiment, and an interesting thought experiment would be, all right, next year threes or fours and twos or threes. Right. Like mm-hmm. what if the payoff were only one point three three percent? OK, so now if you're a 40 percent three point shooter, you're not a 60 effective field goal percentage. Right. You're uh, what you're you're let me, let me do the math here. I mean, I don't know. You're like uh, 53, I think. Am I right there? Yeah, about 53 percent. OK, well, now the mid range shot is a little more valuable than it is today. Um, and, and that would be sort of, I think, the experiment. But it, it's a, at a payoff of three to two, no, man, it's just like it's it's a it's a it's a it's a house bet to go down low unless you've got an absolute certainty that this guy is just going to freaking hit, you know, sixty percent of his shots, you know. And that doesn't include, you know, I'm talking about like non-transition, right? Like yeah, like half court, and it just doesn't exist. Yeah, you got to go with. Uh, it, it's funny you met, you mentioned the percentages. I mean, I'm not. Uh, I'm not. I'm not gonna pretend <laughs> pretend to be good at math. It's funny. I was in Vegas a few months ago and I was shooting craps and I ended up next to you know Gus Hansen, poker player. I, you know, I used to know all those guys like in the Phil Ivy era. I, you know, I, yeah. I, don't, I don't know them anymore. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't, Wait, I don't Gus Hansen's an older guy, right? Yeah, he was like on World Poker yeah, Tour a couple times, yeah. and uh, and I was sitting next to him and I'm I'm watching. I mean, I'm just playing for fun, but he is putting down 
like chips among chips. And then he's trying to tell me, he's like, see, it's all percentages. I know I have a, a 45% chance if I bet on this, I'm going to hit one. And I would just like, that's what the NBA has kind of adopted. And, and it, it's funny, like they've bought in, in a lot of guys and uh, who know the, the math and, and understand the analytical part of the game. Um, how much do you think that's, that's when do you think that started to shift in the NBA when, when the numbers and the stats started becoming so much more um, than just looking at, you know, field goal percentage, free throw percentage and, and kind of mixing everything together, like you said, to get true shooting percentage and effective field goal percentage? I mean, I, I think D'Antoni's son's team sort of alerted the league to this. Um, not only was it an electric style of play, but they were putting up huge numbers. And um, it also sort of, you know, it, it was a couple of things like, the league had a big man problem. These guys just weren't very skilled and weren't very good. You felt like you needed to have one on the floor, um, but like it was costing you offensively. And then they realized, you know, I think, I think that was, I think Daryl Morey ending up in, in, in Houston and San Antonio was always doing it quietly. Like, you know, you started seeing just, they setting up guys in the corner, like a Bruce Bowen or whatever. And, and I think, so, so I think like the mid aughts to the late aughts, we started getting it. And then it sort of, you know, and then I think, I, I think they followed baseball a little bit, and it's, you started to see that there was value. Then it was sort of getting undervalued players. So you had like Battier who could shoot three and defend without fouling, and little by little, I think teams realized that there was just like the more efficient teams were doing this, and you know, post up basketball, mismatch basketball just wasn't as profitable you know, on the floor. And I, I think that's sort of what started it. And, um, but just an awareness that, oh yeah, and the shots were, you know, 50% more and they're guys who make it not 50% more difficult. Um, it, it's a, it's a, you know, the funny thing about D'Antoni and, and I've talked about this with him, you know, it's not like D'Antoni went to MIT or anything. I mean, he's a smart guy, but it's like, he didn't say it, it was totally intuitive. Right. I mean, just mm -hmm. like, wait a minute two buckets uh, from behind the line are worth three. Like, you know, we can miss, you know, basically we can run 10 possessions, you know, get four makes, basically shoot 40%. And, you know, and it's, it's the equivalent of the other team having to go six for 10. Yeah. Um, it's probably easier because I have the personnel to do it. Um, you know, and Nash can penetrate and just create all kinds of havoc and suck defenses in. I mean, that was the other thing, right? Like, the three-point shot was available when you had a guard because I think the general defensive theory is, like, no middle, no middle, no middle. Clog the paint, right? Keep teams out of the paint. Largely because you didn't really have to guard the arc. I mean, I'm, I'm ancient, so, like, I grew up, like, watching basketball in the 80s. I mean, you would go an entire night without seeing a dude take a three-pointer. Like, it was, like, this, this crazy thing. Like, it was like a jump ball in the middle of the game, right? It was this, like, odd occurrence that you would see, and you get, like, excited. Um, it was almost a, it was a novelty, uh, you know, for all of birds. It's like seeing a guy hit a half court shot almost at, at some point. You're just like, whoa, yeah, the I mean, guy just shot it. Yeah, that was sort of the thing. So, I mean, I think that's kind of when it happened. And I think you, so you had the combination of just sort of this template combined with guys like Maury getting jobs. And, and if not Maury getting the top job, then sort of organizations. And I think a lot of new owners who came from, new economy uh, you know sort of new economy industries where analytics and data are just kind of part of you know the product development phase and so okay we're developing this team of course we're going to apply these these lessons 
Yeah, I'm, you know, it's it's funny you were mentioning because uh, I'm I'm semi um, uh, not as ancient as you, but <laughs> I'm a little bit there. Uh, I mean, I grew up in the '90s, and um, you know, the hand check era was was big then. And even when I played college ball back home, it was always a defensive scheme was always like you said, no middle. Uh, if they want to shoot some threes and, and they want to chuck a bunch of threes, let them do it. And it's almost like you're watching these guys now. And I think it really did start with with that Golden State team which was, yeah, you can, you can not give up the middle. You could do whatever you want, but if those guys are open, they're hitting every, uh, you know, like you said, I mean, they're hitting almost every open shot and that's why it was almost unguardable. If you, you know, I mean, the math made so much sense for, for a team like Golden State to play that way. And I think, you know, the NBA is, is a copycat league, but um, I, you know, I, I do think that this is kind of the way, like you said, I mean, this is the evolution of the game and, and I, do you think the product has has suffered? Do you think it's? Do you agree with Pop when he said this is more, this is not as enjoyable, or he doesn't enjoy this type of basketball compared to what we had seen in the past? No, I, I mean, you know, I, I briefly talked with Pop about this. I mean, I, I don't, I don't think he's talking about like late '90s Heat Knicks garbage. Like, I think what he's talking about is sort of the European stuff they were running, um, you know, in the interim. I yeah. mean, I think, I think it was sort of. Just, just more like I, I think the thing, like where I think it hit sort of people that this was actually not attractive anymore was the Rockets last year in the playoffs, right? Um, and there was a certain tragic irony to it because the you know the coach was D'Antoni, right? But just this like middle pick and roll guys spread, Harden dancing around, getting the mismatch against the big. Yada, 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 right? Like, I think mm-hmm. that is. I mean, I, look, anybody who tells me that this game is less attractive than what we saw 14, 15 years ago, I, I, I just think is insane. This is great. Um, I, I, I really do. I mean, I don't, I, I mean, it's fun to watch guys shoot. Um, I, I think the spontaneity of a guy just kind of pulling up. Now, I don't love that Rockets Western Conference final style of ball. Um, where it's just three out. I mean, I think what, what, what Pop misses is the choreography that used to get involved, the fun of sort of working to get a cool shot with, like, multiple passes. I think what, what the product does suffer, like, like, to me, the way the Warriors get their threes is attractive. The way the Rockets get their threes is ugly. Like, it's, it's not so much the three ball to me as, you know, what's the route? You know, you see the great stuff, the split cuts that, 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 that the Warriors run, you know, you know, using Draymond at the elbow, who's a wonderful facilitator. I mean, I, you know, I, I know he's not for everybody from a personality standpoint, but he's just a wonder. Anybody who loves basketball, like Draymond's a really unique player. And, and mm-hmm. so, you know, Bogut used to do a lot of that with them, but like, you know, passing big men and then the, and then the, the smalls and the perimeters is like zipping around, you know, you know, with these splits and these, you know, the elevator doors. I mean, I think that's the kind of stuff that I think pop, what I I think, and again, I can't speak for pop, what I think he's referring to is just this like one, five, three guys spread, guy dances, steps back, boom. Okay. Like that's boring. Um, He misses the choreography. I don't think for a second, anybody misses like, I mean, your eyes bled when you watched basketball. <laughs> yeah, when it was 77, it was 72 and stuff. That, yeah, that was terrible to watch. And it wasn't even just, like, even the scores. Like, I'll deal with, like, a game like that every once in a while. But it was just, like, it was just, there was just, it was just WrestleMania. It just wasn't, it wasn't graceful. Yeah. Like, it was clogged and congested. And 
there was no motion and there were a lot of ISAs and clear outs and sort of post, repost, post, repost. Who cares? Um, you know, and so I think that sort of, I don't think it's ruined the game at all. Like, and, and like look, intelligent people could disagree. I, I just think anybody who wants to watch the 98, 99 heat and Knicks over the 2000, you know, whatever Warriors and Grant, I don't like them as much with Durant, not because he stacked the deck. I just, they, the purity of that, those first two years has been compromised just because Durant triples a lot. Um, but, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll take the latter. Yeah. And it's funny that cause uh, pop was, you know, what it was, uh, you know, four, four or five years ago only that they were, you know, playing Miami in back-to-back finals and, and that, you know, everybody, them at that point looked at him like it was revolutionary what he was doing. And it was, it was so pretty to watch that team um, uh, play. So, I mean, it, it, it's crazy how fast the, the NBA has kind of shifted from, from that. That was almost like the middle ground to coming where, where it has today. Uh, Kevin, I'll get you out of here on this. I mean, you were, you came and presented to uh, one of my classes at USC last year with Jeff Fellinger. Shout out to him. He's an amazing man. Always been super helpful. Um, you've, you've done a bit of everything. You know, you used to work uh, at uh, NPR. You were a graduate of, of Columbia. You've spoken at the Sloan Conference, even did a podcast called Pack Your Knives, which is focused on the show Top Chef. Um, if you were looking at young journalists today, what, what advice would you give someone trying to break into the industry and, and get to a level of, uh, you know, working for an ESPN or Fox Sports or a major outlet one day? This is a much harder question than it used to be, because, and, and I don't mean to be discouraging. I just think a lot of the old avenues you know, are gone. I mean, you know, you used to be able to come up through a, a personal blog, right? And there were these farm systems and, 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 or for that matter, that was one, or you'd go to a local paper, right? You'd start at a small paper, you know, you cover high school sports for a little while. Um, and, you know, you work your way up to the newsroom and those jobs just aren't as plentiful. I mean, what I always tell people is just do something completely different. Um, I, I, I mean, just do something that no one else is doing. And, and I don't know what that is. I mean, I, I, I think, you know, you, you just kind of have to stumble across it. I mean, for me, you know, I was at NPR and, you know, I, I was very into the Clippers. You know, I was, you know, a guy in my early 30s, a couple of buddies and I, we had season tickets when they were really dirt cheap. Like we split up, you know, split a couple mm-hmm. of seats upstairs, you know, front row center court upstairs at 20 bucks a pop, you know, whatever. It's nothing. And, you know, the team was interesting and good. And, and, and it was a time when no one was really writing about basketball the way I, I would have written about basketball. I mean, political blogs, um, as annoying as they could be, and I'm not, a, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a terribly ideological person, but like they were much farther along than sports, you know. And I was like, well, what if someone took more of a diarist approach? And, you know, because the beat, and it's no disrespect to the beat writers on the on the scene, it's just like they were conforming to this thing that had been there for years and years and years, which is you write your little game summary and you write your little practice notes on the off day, right? And, and I think at the time it was revolutionary, and I'm not suggesting, you know, there were other people, there was a, hand, a small handful of us doing it. And I think it's trying to figure out what that new thing is. I mean, I don't think you're going to, I mean, I'll, I'll say the don'ts, like I don't think like, anyone's going to ever build a career on Twitter. You know, I always encourage, I mean, I'm, I'm going to sound like a fogey, but like, I just, I think it's a royal waste of one's time. Um, you know, don't worry about your brand, worry about your work. Uh, but it's a tougher question than it used to be. I mean, it's a really strange time. And I, and I'm hopeful that there will be like 
a fall. Like I think things go in cycles and we had this sort of boom, you know, in the late 2000s, 2008, 9, 10. And, you know, a lot of the best talent came up through those systems, right? Like, you know, if you enjoy the work of Zach Lowe, like he was a, it was on Celtics blog or whatever it was, right? You know, if you enjoy the worst, you know, the work of Royce Young or Ethan Strauss, you know, those guys were on team blogs. I mean, I kind of sort of came up that way as well. And, you know, you can, you can go down the list. Um, and, uh, you know, the Kamenitsky brothers were sort of, you know, guys who had sort of a blog with the LA times kind of did it differently. And, you know, and, and so I think that's, that, that sort of figure out what's, What's where's the market inefficiency? What's not being done? Um, and, and I and I think just sort of paying attention to that. Uh, the other thing I, I will tell, especially for those listeners who are just starting college, learn Mandarin. Um, you know, our editor in chief for the NBA and ESPN, um, she's spending her week in Beijing and mm. talking to Tencent. That is where so much of our audience is right now. You know, I, I was telling a young family friend, he's like, you know, how do I do this? I want to do this. You know, he's an excellent, you know, one of the top schools in the nation, but it's it's tough, right? Like, there just aren't jobs out there. And I was like, dude, just like, you're at this great school. They got Mandarin 101 three times a day. Like, take two or three years of Mandarin. Um, because the Chinese fan um, is something that the NBA, that, that my company, that any content provider who, who wants to reach an audience – um, wants to reach. And I was, you know, and, and I, I know that sounds crazy. It's a big ass. <laughs> Just go take, you know, go learn a language, a foreign language. Um, oh, but if but, you're almost, if you're serious about it, that's, that's the way to do it. It's, it's funny because I interned at uh, ESPN 710 uh, about six years ago now. And one of the guys I work with there, Julio, uh, who was a producer, he said to me, he's like, best thing for you to do, learn, learn Spanish right now. Uh, you, and I looked at him, I'm like, are you crazy, man? You, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to be able to pick up a new language. But if you, if you look at it, and I, you know, you're mentioning Mandarin, I'm not saying it's anything to do with the languages, but it's just how connected everything is. Like, uh, to be an NBA guy, you don't have to be in North America anymore. Um, it's, it's a global game. And, and if you're looking for a, a way to get your foot in the door, that's probably the best way to do it. Well, no, and, and, I mean, specifically, like our company, like we translate our stories. Now, imagine you were somebody with your kind of knowledge you know, you can talk the one for pick and roll. You can really, you know, you understand the narratives and things and you could actually just write it yourself. Um, you know, imagine being the NBA insider on the, in the States here, you know, with sources and, and knowledge and expertise and being able to kind of transmit that to an audience and it's, and it's, in its preferred language. Like, I just think it's, you know, I mean, any, I mean, it, it sounds flippant kind of, you know, younger people kind of, like, oh, no, seriously. And I'm like, no, I'm serious. Like, if you're at a good four-year university, um, any four-year university, and, it, and, and you have the opportunity to learn this language, and you want to write about basketball, I'm telling you. Like, it gives you, a, I mean, more than a competitive advantage. I mean, it puts you in a very, you know, very, very unique space. I mean, um, I mean, Tencent's presence in this, in this space is, is, is massive. Mm-hmm. Um, Chinese fans love basketball. I mean, I, you know, I was a tourist over there six years ago and without volunteering my identity or what I did for a living, like the mere sight of an American male came with the assumption that maybe you could talk basketball. <laughs> like it, 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 it's crazy, like like Kobe's presence on the street, like Jersey, like it's I mean, it 
it feels like an NBA country, you know, and and it and it's just like that, you know, if you want to, it's a great way in. I mean, I would imagine that, you know, I certainly can't speak for my bosses, um, or any boss, but I I would imagine that a you know, a young person who's passionate and really wants to do the work and passionate about the game and and you know wants to report and wants to really roll up their sleeves and oh by the way i can reach one point you know something billion of your potential fans in their native language like you're hired you know? yeah and, and, yeah. and um I, I i really you know I, I wasn't being flipped with this with this kid and and i mean I, I look if i could go do it again and go back to my my college i enjoyed my two years of arabic but i i, I might go mandarin you know yeah like no, I, I mean, I, I hear you, man. It's it's uh, it's interesting to see kind of uh, kind of how uh, the the world has kind of changed, and 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 like you like you said, I mean, basketball has become big. I know they've been trying because I'm I'm Indian. I know they're trying a little bit hard to push the game there. I don't think it's not even close to the level that it is um, in, in China, we'll get there. but. Uh, yeah, it'll get there. No, it will get there. And, uh, you know, I do think that um, the, the way it's going, um, you know, and, and I agree with you 100%. I think that's the way you can find it. Be creative and, and, and try and find a way to get your foot in the door. Um, th- thanks a lot for doing this. It's Kevin Arnovitz, ESPN uh, writer for ESPN.com and ESPN the magazine. Uh, I'd love to have you on again sometime, man. You bet. All thanks right, that's Kevin. That's Kevin Arnovitz. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Kevin Arnovitz. That's A-R-N-B-O-I-T-Z. Uh, don't forget to check us out. Lakers Screen and Roll at Lakers SBN on Twitter and SilverScreenAndRoll.com. Harrison, Anthony, the whole crew has you covered. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes at The 30. I'll talk to you next week.